0: everybody out there in Bourbon Real Talk land, Randy Sullivan coming to you today with a very special episode. We are going to talk about the 10 whiskeys that you should never buy. Now, if you're used to seeing this type of video, I am not the guy to tell you that you shouldn't buy XYZ brand. And the reason why is because I don't know your palate, but there are whiskey trickeries out there. There are things out there in the marketplace that I feel like whiskey enthusiasts should avoid, and that's what we're gonna talk about. So the first thing that I want you to avoid has to do with NDPs, that stands for non-distiller producer. So this is somebody who owns a brand or a label of whiskey and they're buying finished whiskey from somebody else and they are putting it in their bottle. And there are basically three rules that I have for NDPs. So rule number one, is that you should never buy an NDP that the retail price of the non distiller producer is significantly above what the retail price of the original producer was. So, what do I mean by that? I think the biggest example of this would be like Sweetens Cove. Sweetens Cove, I think, was around $180 MSRP and it is a, you know, reasonable age of Dickel product. Dickel products are amazing. Higher age Dickels have a lot of value in the marketplace, but there are many other NDPs that release that whiskey at lower prices, and Dickel sells that type of whiskey for a much lower price than $180, and so if it is a non-distiller producer, meaning the company that has the brand, doesn't make the whiskey, and it's being sold for more than you can buy it from the original producer, I would say avoid it. The second rule that I have with NDPs is if there is somebody who is also buying that same juice, and forgive me for the word juice, but it's kind of passed around in the industry, and they are releasing that same juice for a lower price, then I would recommend that you be you know, cautious and maybe not spend your money there. As an example, I am invested in a NDP. I'm actually invested in two NDPs. So uh, the best example would be the Prideful Goat. So this bottle right here is Kentucky uh, straight bourbon, 15 years, and it has a very unique mash bill. The mash bill is 78 and a half corn and 13% rye. There aren't any mainstream producers that have that percentage of grain in their mash bill, which means that when you come across a bottle that has that mash bill, that's also 15 years old, it's another NDP that is selling this whiskey. Now I'm involved in this NDP. We have been selling this whiskey for $125 a bottle. The second cheapest is $160. i am not going to mention the brand, but if you're in the industry, you probably know. And the most expensive that I've seen was $300. It came in a much more decorative bottle, but it was $300. And so if you are going to buy a non-distiller produced product, I want you to avoid the more expensive versions of that and look for the producers that are releasing it at the lower prices. And my third recommendation for a non-distiller produced product would be, I have a general rule. This is not a hard rule, but a general rule of roughly $10 per year of age. There are absolutely exceptions. That rule is mostly applied to Kentucky bourbons. You get outside of Kentucky and that rule can definitely change a little bit. and And so, the last time I said this on a podcast, I had some people that really got upset, and they were like, "Ah, you know blah blah and and so this is just a general rule, okay? If I'm looking at a Kentucky bourbon and I'm paying ten dollars or less per year of age, so if it's a ten year bourbon, it's less than a hundred bucks, I'm not super mad at it as an NDP. NDPs have to pay the original producer whatever profit that they needed to make it worth it for them to let go of that barrel and then they have their own you know, bottling costs. They have to pay for tamper seals and they have to pay for labels and a lower production uh, run of their label cost. And they might have embossing, they might have expensive glass. There could be a lot of things that play into that and it might make it a little bit more expensive, but once it starts to get above $10 per year of age for Kentucky bourbon, I start to get suspect. Um, my second recommendation is You need to avoid retail stores who charge more than MSRP. So MSRP, manufacturer suggested retail price. Any bottle of whiskey, you can just grab it and say, okay, this is a Knob Creek bourbon. You can type Knob Creek bourbon, MSRP, into Google. Hit enter. You can do that while you're in the store. And it is gonna spit out a number. And that is the price that that bottle should be sold at. If you're going into a store, and a lot of people don't realize this, but retail stores that sell liquor are completely independent on pricing. They don't have to ask permission of the person that, or the company that originally produced that product. They can sell that product for any price that they want, and they are completely immune from any retribution from the producer who might be upset with the price that they sold it at, whether it be low or high. and what has resulted in our current environment where a lot of high demand bourbons are worth more money than their MSRP is retail stores are are deciding independently that they are going to change the price of that product. And the, the original producer of that product knows that they could have charged more money, but decided not to charge more money for some strategic business reason. And if you want more information about that, you can go watch my podcast. Um, it's, it's called you know, high-priced bourbon, capitalism or greed. We go deep dive into the reasoning why that is, but I'm making my number two recommendation for bourbons that should not be purchased. Do not purchase bourbons above their MSRP at price gouging stores, okay? My third recommendation, bottles with no state of distillation. And this, again, is mostly targeted towards non-distiller producers. So when you look at a bottle, you will sometimes see some verbiage that's meant to mislead you, right? Where they're trying to get you to believe that this whiskey is something that they personally made. And so they'll say, you know, this whiskey is bottled by or whatever, right? Um, But what you're looking for is a statement that says distilled by. So a great example is smoke wagon. Smoke Wagon does a great job of disclosing. And so you'll have all of this information on the bottle that says, you know, that it's uh, Nevada HNC distilling. It's Smoke Wagon uncut, unfiltered, straight bourbon, whiskey. But it didn't say what state and Smokewagon is in Nevada. But if you look on the back label down at the bottom, it says distilled in Indiana. That's because it is a federal requirement as a consumer protection measure that distilleries have to disclose what state the whiskey was distilled in. They're still allowed to buy whiskey inside their own state and deceive people into thinking that the whiskey was distilled by them, but when they buy whiskey from out of state, that's kind of your clue as a consumer to make sure that you're buying exactly what it was that you thought it was. And there are countless producers out there that will actually leave that information off, the front label and the back label, and leave you believing that they're the ones that made the whiskey when they really didn't. And that is a violation of federal law. So if you are reading a label and you don't see anywhere on there that it says what state the whiskey was distilled in, do not buy that bottle of whiskey. Hey there, Bourbon Real Talk listeners and watchers. Randy Sullivan here. Wanted to take a quick break to tell you how you can support the channel. We've had a lot of people that have come into the Bourbon Real Talk family lately and we're grateful for every one of you. But unlike a lot of other channels, we don't have a Patreon and I don't allow anyone to sponsor the show. So what I do have though is some merchandise. We have Bourbon Real Talk hats. We've got Bourbon Real Talk t-shirts very soft, high quality. We also have whiskey wife t-shirts for the long-suffering significant others in our lives. We have full size glens for when you need an official whiskey tasting experience. We have wee glens for when, you know, you want to drink a little bit less, maybe try a few extra samples. We have insulated tumblers for when you want to drink incognito. We have full size glen lanyards for when you need hands-free access at a bottle share. We've got candles, including charcoal and tonka, leather, and Cuban cigar. We have one and two ounce whiskey sample storage boxes. And of course, we have the American Whiskey Aroma Kit for when you want to step your whiskey game up and be able to break a whiskey down to its components. If you saw any of this stuff, you want to support the channel, you can head on over to bourbonrealtalk.com forward slash shop and pick something up. If you just wanna hang out here and learn, I'm totally happy with that as well. Just happy to have you as a listener. My fourth that you should not buy is any bottle that you cannot afford. Whiskey is very exciting. And for those of us who have the collector gene, it's like buying baseball cards when you're a kid or whatever the thing was that was hot whenever you were a kid for collectors. And that's all well and good. But it's very easy for you to get drug into this process and get excited about, you know, I don't want to miss out. It's called fear of missing out, FOMO. You don't want to miss out on this grand opportunity to get this bottle that nobody else has access to. And it's pretty easy to make a bad financial decision and to purchase a bottle that you can't afford or didn't fit into your budget that month. And one thing that I want to encourage you out there, if you are a whiskey enthusiast, is that if you ever go looking, you will always find a bottle that you can't live without, which means that technically, you can live without any of them. So if it's a bottle that you can't afford, I want you to avoid it. Number five whiskey that you should not buy is expensive high age statement whiskey. And this doesn't just apply to NDPs, but NDPs are the worst about this, where they'll buy a whiskey that has a really high age statement, and then they'll sell it for way more than it's worth. And probably the most classic example of this, and it doesn't apply as much as it used to, but MGP, which is the non-distiller producer from Indiana, that was making whiskey for most of the NDPs out there, the non-distiller producers, they had all of this high-age stock that they were selling to all of these different brands. And then they started to run out. And at the same time, a Diageo company down in Tennessee uh, that makes Dickel, they had some high, high-age stock that was available for purchase. And so there were some brands out there that were usually dropping you know, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old bourbons and they ran out of stock from MGP, so they started buying stock from Dickel. Here's the problem it tastes very different, very different. And so I personally had a bottle of 9, 10, and 11 year old Smooth Ambler Old Scout that was all MGP juice. When the MGP juice ran out, they started buying Dickel and they released, I think it was a 12 or a 13 year. And somebody offered me one. Now, here's the great news about Smooth Ambler: they didn't price gouge. They had their standard pricing policy. They were able to acquire that 13-year juice for less money than what they would have been able to acquire a 13-year MGP for that at that time. And so, the bottle value was relatively, you know, reasonable, right? They didn't. The producer didn't price gouge. They weren't trying to take advantage. But me as an uneducated consumer, when somebody offered me a bottle of 13 year Smooth Ambler Old Scout and they wanted $120 for it, they had paid I think 69 for it or something like that. I took it because it, I had experience for, with, you know, the high age MGP releases that they had done and it was right in alignment with my $10 per year. But when I got it and realized that it was Dickel and not MGP, I was disappointed. And so you have to be careful about high prices for high age statements, especially when the company that's selling it was not the producer, because it's very easy for you to end up with something that's not a good value. My seventh category of whiskey that should absolutely not be bought is overpriced finished whiskey. Okay, so When you are looking at a finished whiskey, a finished whiskey is something that got aged through the normal aging process. According to bourbon standards, it would be aged in a new charred oak container. If it's gonna be a straight, it's at least two years. If it's non-age stated, it's at least four years. So most Kentucky bourbons are at least four years old. But when they dump it out of that barrel, sometimes they put it in a second barrel that used to age something else. That's what's called finishing a whiskey. And that's how most scotch is made. And so they might have a Port Barrel Finish or a, uh, a Pedro Jimenez, uh, what they call PX uh, Sherry Finish. They might have whatever, right? There's all these different finishing barrels, or Runcast or whatever. And the truth is, is that those used barrels are not very expensive. But there are some companies out there that are taking their regular release product, they're putting it in a used barrel, and they are charging this huge premium because it's a finished whiskey. And I want to warn you that if a producer has that same whiskey available on their regular shelf line products and then they release something that's finished and the price is significantly higher, I just want you to get online and Google how much it costs for that barrel and what the volume of the barrel is and do a little bit of math, right? Because it's pretty, you, you'll find that, eh, uh, oftentimes they're trying to charge too big of a premium just because they finished the whiskey, okay? Um, my number seven recommendation of whiskeys that should never be bought are overpriced cash strengths. So this is pretty similar to the finishing idea. So when you go out to look at a whiskey, often you'll find that the brand has a... a regular shelf available version of that product. And then they have a cash strength version of that product. And you can do the math, right? Because when you think about it, the, the, the non-cash strength version, the only difference is that they added water that had almost no value, okay? It was, it was, it was water that has no flavoring, right? And that doesn't cost them really any money. But what it does do is increase the volume of product that they have to sell and so if they normally release their product at say 94 proof and they're releasing a product that that's cash strength at 130 proof you could do the math to figure out how many more bottles from that production run they were able to do and if you take that percentage of Increase in volume that they gave up to do as a cash strength and take that out of the price. If it's significantly different from the cost of their regular shelf available product, I think you need to avoid buying that overpriced cash strength version of the whiskey. Uh, my neighbor, number eight recommendation is tater traps. And if you don't know and you're new in the whiskey game, the word tater. And there's a lot of theories about where it came from, but a tater is somebody who is so excited about whiskey that they really don't think about value. They're willing to buy anything that has FOMO associated with it. And I'm the first to admit, I'm a tater, okay? I buy a lot of taterific bottles, but um, I want, especially people who are new in the game to try to avoid, or avoid the, the tater bottles because those things can become a discouragement from you and can cause you to want to not participate as fully in the whiskey experience as you could have. And a couple of tater categories that I want to warn you about would be celebrity brands. Whiskey has become very popular and anytime something becomes super popular, celebrities that have a large following will often jump into that category of product because it's an easy opportunity for them to capitalize on their fame. It doesn't always translate into the best products. And so, again, hate to pick on Sweeten's Cove again, um, but Peyton Manning was one of the names that was associated with Sweeten's Cove. And I gotta believe that part of the reason why the price of the bottle was so expensive, because I know how much the juice cost, I could have bought those same barrels for unallocated or for the prideful goat. I know how much those those barrels cost. The price is not in association with the cost of the whiskey itself. And that makes me believe that the celebrity's participation is what's increasing the cost of that whiskey. And so... If you're a whiskey enthusiast, unless you absolutely know what you're doing and you're a taterific tater and you don't care about money and you've got plenty of resources, I would generally avoid celebrity brands with a few exceptions. There are some celebrity brands that they've really put forth the effort. They're actual bourbon uh, or whiskey lovers themselves and they've put the effort in to release a product that's a good value. Um, One of the ones that I would kind of say is in that category would be Brothers Bond. Um, So uh, Brothers Bond is just a, you know, four-ish year-old MGP uh, bourbon whiskey. Lots of different companies release this whiskey. But the guys that started this that were from um, Vampire Diaries, I believe, they loved whiskey. And so they went out and they were able to taste samples. And they found some whiskey that tasted good to them. Uh, Brothers Bond is younger, and it's got a little bit of a um, isoamyl acetate flavor, which is kind of a banana runts thing going on. They drank a lot of Woodford, and Woodford's got that banana runts flavor, so it makes sense that they liked it. They picked that whiskey because it tasted good to them. And they released it at a reasonable price. You know, it, I, I think it's around $40 a bottle. It's not super expensive for how much those barrels cost, so I can respect that, but there are a lot of celebrity brands where it's just kind of a money grab, if you will. The second category of tater traps would be pretty bottles. So sometimes bottles will be designed specifically to attract people who pick the bottle based on its shape. And probably the biggest example of this that I can think of would be Willet Pot Still. Uh, Willet is supposedly made on a pot still, and they made the bottle the shape of the still. And often, newer people will go in and see that bottle on the shelves, and it's very exciting looking for them, and they'll decide to buy that. But they're not buying it based on the quality of the product inside the bottle or what its flavor is. Personally, I like Willet Pot Still. If you don't like Willet Pot Still, I'm not mad at you, but I will tell you that I've done a double blind before where I sent out a bunch of Willet Pot Still samples among other products and it finished in the middle. So if you think that Willet Pot Still is terrible in its swill, it's only because you haven't tasted it blind and you've been influenced by other people's opinions. It's not because the whiskey itself isn't good. But that is a bottle that, you know, it's controversial. And a lot of people feel like people buy it because of the shape of the bottle. And the third category of trap would be mimic bottles. Uh, Mimic bottles are bottles that are supposed to look like another bottle. So there's one called something claw or whatever, that mimics the look of like a Blanton's topper and it's designed to catch people's eye that are looking for blands and can't find it on the shelves. There's many other examples of Mimic bottles, but if they're trying to make their product look like a product that it's not, just don't buy it. Uh, So avoid the tater traps. And then my number nine category would be unmonitored secondary opportunities. And what do I mean by that? So a few years ago, because of the demand for bourbon, as is always the case whenever there's a shortage of a product and people who can buy it a secondary market a black market i don't like that term as much as secondary but a secondary market will open up Um, it's happened with levi's and all kinds of things in the past and there's nothing that anybody can do to stop it it doesn't matter whether or not it's illegal it doesn't matter how many rules the government tries to put in place If there is a huge delta between the retail cost of something and the actual market value of something, a black market is going to start, period, point blank. No one will be able to stop it. So given all of that years ago, bourbon demand for Van Winkle, Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, annual release products that are hard to find, all of that stuff starts to skyrocket and the secondary market starts to grow. If there is visibility to everybody in the marketplace the market will monitor itself meaning if somebody tries to take advantage and start selling fake bottles out there it doesn't work because they get caught and they get blacklisted because the community understands that everybody's at risk in this illegal situation and they self-monitor and so I would tell you that if you wanted to buy a bottle from somebody else, the private transfer of alcohol in the United States is technically illegal and it is generally not enforced. I'm not telling you you should or you should not do it. I'm not telling you that it's legal. I'm not telling you that it's absolutely illegal. I'm just saying it's a thing that you should do your own research on. But if you're gonna do it, you need to do it in an environment where there's visibility of who you're doing business with who they've done business with in the past, were those people satisfied? And Facebook groups typically provide that level of protection. Do not buy bottles off of Craigslist or Facebook or a, a site that's not associated with that unless it's an actual commercial business. There are commercial businesses that sell bottles of whiskey, you know, somehow they're able to finagle through the laws and figure out a way to make that happen, that's fine. But Craigslist, Instagram, places like that, it's probably not a place that you should buy secondary bottles. And the 10th and final bottle that should never be bought is you should never pay secondary price for any bottle that you have not personally tasted, okay? FOMO is a real thing in the whiskey community and I want to protect you from it, okay? And I'm not saying that bottles are not worth their secondary price, okay? Because truth be told, there are some bottles that I need that I can't find any other way. And I have to ask myself that question, whether or not whatever it's being charged for out there in the secondary market is worth that bottle. And I won't say whether or not I ever say yes to that question and whether or not I ever buy that bottle, Uh, But I will tell you that I've had to have that conversation with myself. But if you haven't tried the whiskey, unless you have an ulterior motive for owning that whiskey besides drinking it, don't pay the secondary price for it. Go to a bar, get a pour, join a whiskey community, make friends, ask somebody if you can get a sample, go to a bottle share, do something and taste that whiskey before you pay that premium price. But do not buy whiskeys on the secondary that are at a premium price that you have not tasted. So those are my top 10 people. Those are whiskeys that you absolutely should not be buying. I want to tell you a little bit about this channel because I suspect that some of you, this is the first time that you've seen this channel. And Bourbon Real Talk is all about bringing people together through whiskey. Whiskey has this amazing ability to connect people regardless of whatever their you know, ideologies are. It just brings people together. And that's important to me. And Part of the reason why that's important to me is, is because I was looking for a reason to connect people because I lost my brother to suicide. And I, I realized that there must be other people out there that feel disconnected and alone the way that he did when he made that decision. And I don't want people to feel that way. And as I started to get more involved in the whiskey enthusiast community, I started to see how whiskey was bringing people together in a way that it would be very difficult to feel alone or to not feel connected. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I've talked about that in another podcast, but I just believe that if I help people get connected to whiskey the whiskey will do the job to get people connected to each other so that people know that they're part of a community, that they're loved, that they're mattered, and that they have a future, and that there is some hope. And that's kind of the mission of this podcast. The other mission of this podcast is to combat kind of a thing that I've seen on social media, and that is where one person will show hate towards another person because of some difference in ideological views. I, I, I've seen it far too often, especially around political season. And it made me realize that if somebody can hate someone that they've never met in person, simply based on what they read that the person wrote online, it's probably just as easy for me to love that person that I've never met in person. And that's why I end every podcast with the same sign-off, and that is this. If you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you and I'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk. What's kabuki? Kabuki is for like building coverage. Building coverage. Okay, are we paying attention, Bourbon Real Talk? Okay. Yeah, all right. So you got powder. All right, we got powder. You have to buff it into the skin. You have to buff the wood. Where's the bashing part? There's no bashing. There was last time. Yeah, but you also try to get me to, like, uh, what's it called? Brotox and other things. I'm not doing it. It It's worn off. It's been been a year since you've had Brotox. Yeah, it didn't work the first time. No, it didn't. Mm Mm-mm. I was this handsome the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the Brotox, all right?